Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Josh Weiss today. You're going to learn the myths of negotiation, and you're going to learn about taking your negotiation to the next level. Ultimately, when it comes down to creating outcomes in real estate, we've got to understand the best practices of negotiation. We've got to understand that our emotions are at play and you know we can't get rid of those things. We also have to understand that ultimately it's not us versus someone else, right? And that's just a little hint because you're going to learn so much today. This, this episode is extremely valuable, maybe the most valuable discussion I've ever had on negotiation. And I'm giving that to you right, right today. I'm so excited about this. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Guess what? All of those things are critical to taking your negotiation success to the next level. I'm so excited to give you this today. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. We are going to raise the bar today, so let's do that. Uh, before we dive into this podcast, this episode, welcome to Elevate. If you've if this is your first time, we're so thankful and excited to have you here. If you've been here before, welcome back. I want to encourage you to pay the fee. If you've been here before, you know what that fee is. It's just to pay it forward. All you have to do is share this episode with one person. I'll let you know uh, that there's several easy ways to do that. All you have to do is just grab the link, send in a text message, an email, post it on social media, and tell this person why it is that they would benefit from listening to this episode. If you've already paid it forward in the past, we just ask that you do that again. The only way that we can continue to grow is if we receive the value of your introductions. Just like any other business, it's about referrals and, and uh, the best compliment you can give us, the best thank you that you can give us here at Elevate Podcast is to share and to pay it forward. Uh, I think you're going to give tons of value. You're going to receive tons of value from listening to this podcast today. So I wanna invite you to go ahead and do that. And also, I want to ask you, please, to give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast so that you're notified of the next episode that comes out because we are bringing the heat. Today's episode is incredibly valuable. It could be endlessly valuable, not only from a cash perspective, a net worth perspective, a passive income perspective, but also in the way that you design relationships, the way that you design your partnerships. I mean, oh my gosh, I love this episode. I'm so excited about it. I want to dive in. I want to introduce you to Josh Weiss, who is the co-founder with William Urey of the Global Negotiation Initiative at Harvard University and a senior fellow at the Harvard Negotiation Project. 
He is also the director and creator of the Master of Science degree in leadership and negotiation at Bay Path University. He received his PhD from the Institute for Conflict Analysis and Resolution at George Mason University in 2002. Dr. Weiss has spoken and published on leadership, negotiation, mediation, and systemic approaches to dealing with conflict. In his current capacity, he conducts research, consults with many different types of organizations, delivers negotiation and mediation trainings and courses, and engages in negotiation and mediation at the organizational, corporate, government, and international levels. His newest book to be published by Wiley Press will be, it was available actually uh, in August 2020 and is available, is entitled The Book of Real World Negotiations, Successful Strategies from Business, Government, and Daily Life. The book shines a light on real world negotiation examples and cases rather than discussing hypothetical scenarios. It reveals what is possible through preparation, persistence, creativity, and taking a strategic approach to your negotiations. And I could go on and on. I mean, he's a book, uh, he's an author of children's books um, that really help children learn uh, negotiation and conflict resolution skills. He's an innovative creator of a number of products that use the power of technology to convey negotiation and conflict resolution knowledge and skills to a broad audience. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You talk about uh, a, a prolific speaker who's, you know, spoke on the TED Talk stage in 2018. Uh, he gave a talk called The Wired Negotiator, which he speaks about in this podcast episode about the role of technology in negotiation, how to use it most effectively. Today's episode is action packed. It's applicable. It's practical and it's extremely valuable. So get your notepad out. Get ready to take notes. You're going to find distinctions today. You're going to make a leap. You're going to elevate your game today. And I'm excited for you. So without further ado, please enjoy this amazing conversation with Josh Weiss. Josh Weiss, welcome to Elevate. How are you? I'm great, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. I tell you what, it was very, very exciting to have just a brief few moments with you before the podcast today, because you know, I was telling you, I literally got off the phone. I'm in this heel digging negotiation. It's this, you know, very what I would suggest to be unsophisticated approach, high, low, high, low. It's in what you illuminated to me prior to our conversation to be more bargaining than actually negotiation. But obviously your life's work has been to uncover sort of not only the myths of negotiation, but how to meet those objectives and how to utilize this skill and these techniques to get what you want in life and to preserve your reputation and so forth. So I'm excited about this conversation, Josh. Um, before we dive in, if you were to describe yourself in the way that people that know you best would describe you, what would they say about you? Uh, I think that they would say that, you know, that I'm very passionate about what I do, that I care deeply about effective negotiation, dealing with conflict, helping people live Kind of better lives, uh, and 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 so that's you know that's in many ways what I'm. It sort of feels like my cause in life is to help people to understand that there are ways of handling their problems, their challenges. You know, we live in a society of conflict avoiders because everybody picks up a phone and calls a lawyer when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that people can learn how to you know handle their conflicts, how to negotiate effectively, with a little thinking. Um, etc. And I and I would hope people I think would say that I tried to live um, what I teach. I don't really think that you can do this without trying. I don't always succeed. I have three daughters; they would tell you that, <laughs> and my wife would say <laughs> that as well. But but I try. 
you know, and I think that um, if there's a field where it would be very disingenuous for me to say, you've got to do things in X, Y, and Z way, and then I'm doing them in PDQ, you know, this would be it. And so, so I hope that's what people would share that I did my best to, to not only teach people some important skills, but also tried to, to, to live this as best as possible. Yeah. And it really resonates with me. You talk about the level of conflict avoiders that are in society today. And I think our lower self wants us to avoid conflict um, because it's it's uncomfortable. It's it's challenging. It's it doesn't feel good. Um, but my business partner, he says this all the time. He's like, your success is directly correlated to the level of challenging conversations you're willing to have. And I think that this comes down to negotiation at the end of the day. And so obviously we're speaking to real estate investors today at the heart of, you know, creating agreement or achieving objectives, which you just educated me on very well before this, uh, before this conversation at the heart yeah. of that is it, it's negotiation. So I'd love yeah. to start with, uh, the myths of negotiation to start to kind of lay the foundation. And then I want to go into some strategies, some tips, some tactics and right. so forth, but let's start with the myths of negotiation. So can I can I add one little note about conflict? Please, absolutely. And then I'll go into the mist, promise. So um, to me, and I know this is going to sound strange to folks listening, but conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. Conflict actually brings things to the surface that need attention. Something's not working, right? And so a conflict arises because people are disagreeing, they have a different view on a problem, et cetera. And in some ways, I actually feel like it's it's sort of a natural part of the decision-making process. You know, you and I talked a little bit about the notion of mindset. And for me, when a conflict arises, I say, okay, this means that there's a problem that I was unaware of that now is on the surface, and now I have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think if people can change their mindset when it comes to conflict and say, okay, so let's get into problem-solving mode. We've got a problem. Let's fix it. Right? It changes your whole orientation toward things. And life is rife with conflict. I mean, there's just no way because everybody brings their own perspective to the table, right? And so we see the world differently. And as a result, we're gonna have these kinds of scenarios that happen. So I guess I would just say to your listeners, you know, give it a try to say, okay, so there's a conflict that's come up. We have a disagreement, we have a problem. Like, let's roll up our sleeves and, and deal with it. Because what I've found is that if you know how to handle conflict, if you have the skills of dealing with it, then in the end, you can actually solve it and it strengthens, strengthens the relationship. It's when you don't know how to handle it that people pull back, as you were saying, into their instinctual kind of ways of handling things and they either fight or flee or, you know, et cetera. And the other thing I'll say really fast is that, you know, one of my favorite sayings is conflict, unlike wine, does not age well. <laughs> Fair. And, and, and I find that the longer you leave a conflict, the harder it gets to solve, the more parties get involved. You get camps that form and, and issues start to multiply. So just jump on it, deal with it, and don't see the other person as the enemy. See them as somebody you've, you're going to have to deal with over the course of time. Can so, I make a quick comment on that? I mean, I think what you just did was you shifted the way that I look at conflict myself. And I think you gave me a powerful mindset tool and many of the listeners as well in that conflict is not always bad. In fact, most of the time it's not. And you just mentioned it's a natural part of the decision-making process. So now instead of looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't be a conflict avoider. I should go at it. But now I can look at this as a gift to say, well, if this is a part of the decision-making process, this is a part of it. And instead of avoiding it, I can go through it and we can work through this and obtain our objectives by being creative as well. 
that's that's it. You got it. And and honestly, all it takes is is doing it once and doing it effectively once to see what I'm talking about. Because when you come out the other side of having dealt with a conflict or had a difficult conversation that went well, you're like, huh, it wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So myths, right? Um, I'll, I'll make the pivot to myths. So there are a couple of myths. I'll give you three that I see people bring to the negotiation table that is that are inherently very limiting in terms of their ability to negotiate effectively. So the first one is compromise. So when I will ask people I teach and train, what's the word? What words come to mind when you hear the word negotiation? Invariably, somebody says compromise. Compromise might be necessary in negotiation, and I say that because in my thirty years of working in this field, what I have learned over the years is that the best negotiators that I've worked with at Harvard and other places, negotiation is really about creativity. It's about problem solving. It's not about what do I have to give up to get where I want to go. Um, it's how do I first of all, understand what's really important to the other side. Um, what do they value? Do I know what's really critical to them? Um, and then being very clear about what's important to you. And when I what I find is that when you're focused that way, you're giving thought to, because negotiation is inherently an interdependent process, right? I need the other side to say yes for me to get where I want to go. So if I see the other party as a problem solving partner in all of this, right? Then let's think about what's the best solution here? How do we create the best deal possible? The the phraseology that I like to use when it comes to compromise is make it the last stop on the train instead of the first. You know, when when times get difficult, people often will just say, let's split the difference and move on, right? No, that's not what you want to do because you don't a lot of times don't even know what the real problem is and whether you really need to split the difference. Maybe there's a way in which if you think about it and talk about it, and one of the interesting things about negotiation is that we are always working with incomplete information. So the longer you stay at the table, the more information comes out, right? So when somebody, if I, if I stay at the table and we're talking back and forth and somebody says, you know, if we were able to add this to the deal, um, that would really help us. And I would say, well, wait a minute, I didn't even know you wanted that. Right. So now all of a sudden I have another piece to work with. And I can also be thinking, well, what else can I ask for mm -hmm. that might make this deal better? So it's the antithesis of what you were just talking about in your heel digging negotiation. Right. It's sharing information. It's saying, let's think more broadly than this and move beyond just price or a single issue to what do we do with this? Like, what else can we how do we you know, come up with a solution that meets our needs as best as possible. So does that come down to asking questions about, hey, what's really important to you or what would you suggest? It's exactly it. In fact, when I ask people what, you know, when you think of effective negotiators, what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And usually they say, oh, really smooth talker, effective communicator in that regard. And it's actually the opposite. It's asking the right questions and listening very carefully. You know, I often find that introverts, um, despite what they might think, actually make better negotiators because they are very observant. Um, they ask questions, they look, they don't always have to be the center of attention um, like us extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. And, and, and in some ways, they're gathering information. And, and you don't get information when you talk. You get information when you ask a good question and you really listen to somebody and they share what matters to them. So, so stay curious I, longer, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and throughout the process and stay at the table for as long as you can, because the more you're there, the more, you know, things reveal themselves. And somebody says, you know, I mean, and you could even ask a question, you know, there's a, there's a guy at, at Harvard who's a retired named Howard Rafa, a really great guy. He came up with this process that he called post-settlement settlement. It's probably the least sexy name he could think of, but the idea is really great, which is that when two negotiators come up with an agreement, right? What he would say is, bring me your agreement. And if I can make it better for both of you, you'll give me 10% of what I find, right? And people were like, okay. So he did this over a number of years. And in about 90% of the cases, he found value for both sides by asking a very simple question. Is there a way that now that we've got the core of this agreement, is there a way that we could make this agreement better for both of you, not one or the other, but both of you, right? And when you ask that question and you already have this sort of agreement that's reasonable, right, all of a sudden people say, well, I guess if, you know, if we could change the delivery time or if we could extend our payments in this way or extend the contract out, that would be beneficial because we have, um, you know, security in terms of knowing we're going to get income, whatever it might be. All of a sudden, you change the dynamic. And it's, you know, we often leave value on the table in negotiation. That's the, the cardinal sin, if you will, of negotiation is not understanding everything that the parties value. You know, people often will say to me, so, you know, I have this job negotiation coming up. Like, what do I do? How do I negotiate that? And I say, well, the first thing I want you to do is not think about the money. I want you to know what the industry standard is for your salary, but I want you to think about all of the other things that you might ask for um, as part of this process. So flex time, telecommuting used to be what, you know, was it was a benefit. I don't know about nowadays, you know, <laughs> post COVID, but, you know, do you have daycare? I mean, there's a whole host of things like what kind of professional development could I engage in over time? So the point is that people value a lot and yet, Often in negotiation, we get very limited in our thinking and, and focused on the most relevant notion or the most relevant idea that we think we ought to be looking at, like salary, right? We know we're going to talk about salary, but what are all the other things you can build in and around an agreement to make it better for you? Well, and you think about for real estate investors, that centerpiece is purchase price. Yeah. It's purchase price of the asset. And of course, there's all these other terms and there's all these other ways to get creative instead of compromising and both parties walking away like, man, that felt horrible and I'm not happy about this, but yeah, I'm signing the agreement and good luck. Um, right. But you've compromised. And so this, this myth that you just talked about, instead of compromising, we can reach objectives that are important to our values. Well, and I'll give you an example from our own life. Um, we last year, we ended up buying a house about a mile from the beach um, to rent out and, and then to use. And we were about $10,000, $15,000 apart from the, the seller. And, you know, this market's been crazy for buyers, right, etc. For sure. They came back to us and said, is there, you know, is there a way for us to bridge the gap? And I, you know, started to think, my wife and I started thinking creatively, well, what could we do, right? Did they know so who one, they were dealing with, Josh? <laughs> I, I don't think so, um, which sometimes is a good thing, right? Some, yeah. A lack of knowledge is a good idea. So I said to them, well, what if we were to close in such a way that, that we wouldn't end up having, you know, a mortgage payment for essentially sort of, it, it became about six weeks at the end of the closing and everything like that. So we avoided a... a a mortgage payment, right? And kicked it back a bit. So that had some savings for us. But then we started to say, well, okay, well, um, 
you know, if you really don't want to come off of that, like, what about giving us all the furniture, et cetera? And there were a few other things that we did that that got us to a place where the value was about, you know, 12, 13, $14,000. And at that point, I said, okay, you know what, that's where, where we want to be, right? So, but it was a couple of things that, you know, a lot of times when people get to that point, they say, okay, well, I guess there's nothing else to negotiate. And it's like, no, that's actually when you need to be creative and say, well, what else could we add to the mix so that we don't have to walk away from a house that perhaps we would like, right? Or we see it as a good investment or whatever it might be. Let's start thinking about the deal and the deal design, right? Because there's a lot of ways that you can design deals in negotiation. So start thinking, like, what are the other ways in which you could extend certain things, you know, to help you overcome some of those gaps? I really like that. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to just being willing to sit on the same side of the table and work on a problem to say, all right, well, what, what, what what's most important to you? What's most important to me? And for us to look at this as, all right, these are the issues. It's not me versus you. It's right. us versus these issues. So now let's put the puzzle pieces together. That's right. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because after the fact, after we sold the house, you know, lots of houses have nuances or other kinds of things. And so, in as much as we don't think we are going to engage with the seller or the buyer, right? Again, usually you are. There are times when you need them in different ways. And if it's been a very contentious negotiation, you're you tend not to go out of your way to to want to help that person and, and things along those lines. And so it was very beneficial for us. You know, there were some nuances that that were really helpful for them to come over and explain and share. And, you know, they they after the fact threw in a couple things that they realized they didn't need. And I think that was because of the way we approached the process. I like that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's never helpful to burn a bridge. I mean, you just never know what bridges you're going to need in your future and what would at least be helpful. So I love that. So the first myth is compromise, right? The first myth of negotiation is compromise. What are the other two? So the second one is really that, that um, when we think about what, does success look like in negotiation? Most people say, well, it's reaching agreement. And I would actually say that that's not true. Success in my world in negotiation is meeting my objective as best as possible. So I go into a negotiation and I have a goal. Like we all should have a goal. Sometimes people don't always think about their goal as clearly as they need to, um, which is interesting. You know, when I consult with folks, I'll say, what is it you're really trying to achieve? And they will say, well, I'd like to have this or that. I'm like, that's not what I asked. I said, what is your goal? Like, what do you really need to get out of this negotiation? If you see what you're doing as meeting your objective as best as possible, you could go through a negotiation and get to the end and say, you know, there's a property over there that actually might be better now that I've gone through this laborious process and realized that, you know, this doesn't quite fit. Like the terms aren't what we want and they're not budging, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's actually, and and if you walk away from that negotiation, that in my mind is a, is a success because mm-hmm. you understood that you could walk away. We also, we call that, your folks may know this, your BATNA, your best mm-hmm. alternative to a negotiated agreement. And what it simply means is that when you go into a negotiation, you always want to know what's my alternative if we can't reach agreement, right? So if you get to the end and you realize your BATNA is better than what's on the table, walk away. Um, And people are afraid sometimes to walk away, but sometimes it's necessary as well to sort of send a signal to the other side that, hey, you know, this isn't going to work for us. And if you want to change things, we're here. You know, um, one of my colleagues at Harvard who since passed, Roger Fisher, a very well-known negotiator, um, he used to say, and this is this is kind of going back some ways because um, he was talking about telephones and 
and actually still having wires. <laughs> but he used to say, um, don't be afraid to hang up the phone, but never cut the wire. In other words, give them an opportunity to always call you back. I don't know what that would be in our wireless world today, but you get the point, right? Which is that sometimes you have to walk away, especially when you realize oh, there might actually be a better way to solve this problem or to meet my needs elsewhere. So, and I think also there's a, there's a concept um, from a negotiation point of view called agreement bias. And the closer a deadline gets, the more people are likely to reach agreement, but they're bad agreements. They're general, vague, they leave out details because people are rushing and they don't want to lose out. You know, there's a principle of scarcity that when, if people think they're going to lose out on something, they agree to, to that and then realize that after the fact, it wasn't a very good deal or they, you know, left holes, et cetera. So, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, this is all about what are you aiming at in negotiation and how do you know if you got there? So I think if people can shift their mindset from reaching agreement as success to meeting your objective as best as possible as success, it, it helps a lot, it takes the pressure off. Yeah. And that, that BATNA, the concept of the best alternative to a negotiated agreement to me is the ultimate, you know, item that creates leverage and it gets people ultimately on the same page to say, look, I'm not bluffing. I, right. I want to, you know, I want to create, you know, an objective or, or I want to reach my objectives. And I understand you have objectives that you want to meet, meet as well. But if for some reason there is no overlap here, then unfortunately we're going to have to move our separate ways. And to me, once that is clearly understood by both parties, then we clearly understand understand that, hey, we have something that we can work out or we don't because we've all put our cards on the table. Do you agree to that? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's the age old question about do you share your bat or not? And and I think sometimes um, it's OK to I mean, I, I usually just say, look, and, and if it's the truth, which is that I would rather reach agreement here than than walking away, I'll say that. But I'll also mm -hmm. say, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not willing to do anything. I've got my limits and, and I've got alternatives if I need them, but my goal is to work with you. Like that's why I'm sitting here. Um, so, so I think that is a really important concept. And frankly, you can't negotiate effectively if you don't know what your baton is. You know, people often say to me, did I get a good deal? I'm like, well, compared to what? Right. There always has to be a comparison. Um, and so I think that's where BATNA comes to play in, in an important way. And it, and it's also really important that you think about that before the negotiation process. So you think about your own BATNA. What's my walk away alternative? How good or bad is it? And if it's bad, like if you don't have a very good BATNA, you know, you can take some time and try to work on improving your BATNA. You know, in, in your world of real estate, that might mean starting some other negotiations to see what, you know, what else is out there um, mm -hmm. so that there's less of a need to get this particular property or that particular property. So, you know, I try to do that. And then also on the flip side, you want to also think about, and you have to speculate a little bit, but this is where you've got to put your investigator's hat on and do some research into what's the baton of the person I'm dealing with? Yes. How good or bad is it as well, right? Because if they don't have a good baton, then that also translates into leverage for you. And as you continue the conversation, you uncover more as the investigator, right? You learn more about their BATNA. You learn more about, hey, you know, is your objective possible? Is their objective possible? And you can have a clear conversation instead of a bargaining, you know, as you mentioned to me, right. I don't know if that was before our discussion today uh, or before we started recording, bargaining versus negotiating. What we're talking about is negotiating. So these are the myths. But what's what's myth number three on negotiation? 
So myth number three is that you have to keep emotions out of negotiation. Now, most people, like, it was funny, I was talking to somebody about a month ago, and they said, you know, it's really important that you remain professional in negotiation. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, you, you know, you really can't show your emotions. And I said, look, that's not possible. Like, here's the thing. There are a lot of times people say to me, shit, what, what should I say in negotiation? Like, how should I sit? How should I do? I'm like, stop. Like, you're not going to be an effective negotiator that way. You can't fake it till you make it. It doesn't work that way. You have to be authentic. You, you are who you are. Okay. And you have strengths and weaknesses. You build off of those, understand your weaknesses so that when those come up, you're not, you know, they aren't getting used against you, but you have to be you and you can't try to do all kinds of things that, that what you think you ought to be doing, or, you know, and there are books out there that say, never say this or always do that. The, you know, that stuff doesn't work. The only, the only thing that works, and, and I've seen this with terrific negotiators over the year, people who really know themselves, they understand the biases and the challenges they face, but they're in tune with their self and they say, okay, so, you know, here's the deal, et cetera. So back to emotions, Look, human beings are logical and emotional creatures. That's who we are. That's how we evolved. That's how we developed. And, you know, if I were to ask you, when you think of emotions and negotiation, what are the emotions that come to mind? Uh, anger, um, fear, loss, uh, right. anxiety, you know, I could go on yeah. and on. And they're all negative. Mm -hmm. right? And yet, <laughs> right. But there's also an emotion of passion. Like when we're passionate about something, one of your you know, real estate investors seize a property that they think has a tremendous potential. They get excited. That's yeah. an emotion, right? And that, and that fuels you. It also fuels good negotiators to stay at the table because they know, Hey, at the end of the day, this could be a great deal. And I really want to make this happen. So instead of thinking about um, how do we keep emotions out better to think, how do I bring them in, in a way you know, I don't hesitate to say to somebody, look, I'm frustrated. I thought this process was going to go quite differently, or I'm really confused by what you just said. Um, you know, and we all have triggers too. I mean, I, you know, for me, um, when somebody brings sort of a condescending attitude to the table, it's tough. I had somebody a couple months ago say to me, clearly you're not smart enough to understand what I'm telling you. So let me try to break it down for you further. Whoa. <laughs> and I, I, I chuckled to myself because I know like that's my trigger. And I took a couple deep breaths and I said, why don't you do that? Right. When instead of reacting and responding, because again, it's so, so much of negotiation is about you. It's about mm -hmm. how you manage yourself. It's like when I say to my kids, she didn't make you angry. You allowed yourself to be angry. They hate me saying that, but it's the truth because I have the ability. I don't have the ability to control what you do in negotiation, Tyler. I have the ability to control what I do, period. Mm -hmm. We'll stop, right? So, so if I can manage myself, if I know that when somebody is really condescending like that, that's going to set me off and I can temporarily sort of step away and say, manage yourself, you know, that sets you off and then come back to the table and say, that's, you know, pretty challenging, but go ahead and share it. Um, if that's what you need to do, right? In, instead and of going off the rails and, and just saying something that you regret from there, right? Well, and if you do go off the rails and say something, then things have escalated and, and you've dug yourself a hole and now you got to fill the hole back in before you ever get back to the original conversation. So it's not easy. I mean, I have I have students who say to me, you know, if we could just strip emotions out of this, it would be a whole lot easier. And I say, I know, but that's not how people work. So, you know, I mean, if there's a skill out there that most people ought to invest in, it's it's learning to be emotionally intelligent, which is managing yourself 
managing the other, um, being self-aware, all of those things. And that's not, this isn't, to me, this is far from pie in the sky. People might be like, oh, that sounds nice. But but honestly, it's the truth that that when I watch people negotiate and when they make mistakes, it's mostly because their emotions overwhelm them. You know, there's a there's a, a great quote by a guy named Ambrose Bierce, who is an American humorist, who said, when angry, you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. <laughs> and and it's a great quote. And I always think about that because I am sitting there thinking to myself, boy, I would love to tell this person what they can do with themselves. Right. But I know <laughs> that after I say it about five seconds later, I'll be like, damn, why did I say that? I know that that's going to set me back. So it's all about managing the process from your end and your point of view. And that's why, you know, too many people, when it comes to negotiation, they do what I like to call intuit their way through it. And I'm like, listen, do you do that in the rest of your job? No, most people prepare. I mean, preparation is one of the keys to negotiation. And if people aren't preparing, they're preparing to not do well in negotiation. And, but the other thing that's important about preparation is that a lot of people want to go into negotiation with a plan, right? And plans don't work. The other side doesn't care about your plan and they're not going to follow it. What you need to do is in, instead think kind of more contingency planning and say, what's my objective? Like, what's my goal? How do I, what do I, where do I want to get to? And then what are the different avenues that are going to enable me to get there? When you have a plan, the landscape is presumably clear, right? Like you understand the landscape you're working in. Negotiation, there's nothing clear about the negotiation landscape. There are all kinds of curveballs and things that get thrown into a process. So you have to expect the unexpected and therefore say, okay, I want to get here. If I go down this road and it's blocked, what do I do? Where do I go then? And then mm -hmm. what if that road's blocked? Okay, so that you begin to create a number of avenues to the same end. And when you do that, you, there's much less of a freak out factor is the way that I can put it in simple terms, right? Because I don't worry. I'm expecting that an avenue will get blocked. It's when people go in, they think, okay, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and they're going to say yes, and I'm good to go. And then the other side doesn't do that. And that's when people get nervous, they get anxious, and they just give up whatever in order to reach an agreement because that's with, again, that's what they think they ought to be. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside, Without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. I think you take a lot of pressure off yourself too when you're exploring that. And instead of creating a monologue and saying, here's my speech and here's what I'm willing to accept and you must accept it or else, um, you know, or there is no agreement here. It's, it's an exploration to say, well, what are the contingency plans that may actually help you reach your objectives that may actually help me reach my objectives. And we're kind of putting puzzle pieces together and we're working towards this, you know, outcome together, thinking right. about that preparation. I think that's a, that's an important one to visualize these contingency plans to be 
expecting the unexpected, let this thing play out, but be flexible and fluid through that process. Well, so you put your finger on, on a, a key concept that most people don't associate with negotiation, which is agility and flexibility. So my colleague at Harvard, a guy named Mike Wheeler, wrote a book called The Art of Negotiation. And in that book, he talks about that if you want to be a really effective negotiator, you need to learn the skills of improv because you're constantly getting in new information. So he, he talks about an 80-20 rule. So he says when he does his prep, he thinks he could know about 80% of what he needs to know and how to prepare and things like that. But he knows that there's about 20% of the process and the conversation that's, that's unknown at the beginning. And so he prepares for that. And he says, I know that there's information I don't know right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm mentally preparing myself to adapt to that new information as it comes. And I think that that is the way to do this because... As I said, you know, you're always working with incomplete information. There's always things, Tyler, that you know when we go into a negotiation that I don't, and vice versa, right? And it it only comes out during the process, um, especially if we want to reach a good deal. You know, those things come to the forefront when it comes to value and stuff like that. So you talked about preparation being a key. What are some other keys to setting yourself up for success in in any negotiation? Well, you know, there's been a lot obviously made of of the internet and the downsides of things. But one of the interesting things about, you know, knowledge is power, information is power. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's really important that people do a lot of research and try to understand what they can, not only about their own situation, et cetera, but also what the other negotiator needs. Again, this is an interdependent process. And so if you say to the other negotiator, you know, it's kind of thinking a little bit about what might be important to you in all of this, blah, blah, blah. There's no better way to disarm somebody than to say, I thought about what might be important to you. Because mm. most people aren't thinking that at all. They're thinking, this is what I need in negotiation. And I don't really care what the other person needs. You know, if somebody says to you, and I, I've had this happen quite a bit where people say to me, well, that's your problem. When you figure it out, let me know. I'm like, you have no idea how to negotiate. If you think <laughs> this is my problem, because I'm the one who gets to say yes or no to whether you get what you want. So why would you say that? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? So I think that, but you have to really work at a problem, you know? And when it comes to that preparation, you've got to think, how do I get this information? And it might be that I've got a colleague who's worked in, you know, in Tampa and I'm trying to buy a property there. Let me call this guy and talk to them or girl or whatever. And, and, you know, mine them for information and try to figure out, you got to be really creative about how you gather that information, um, you know, as part of the process. So I think that's another one. Um, you know, I mentioned the agility, flexibility piece of this, mm -hmm. um, you know, and there are a lot of dynamics and dimensions to, to negotiation that are important. Um, you know, we're increasingly negotiating using virtual tools like this. And it's also important to know what's the best medium for you and why, you know, a lot of times people say to me, well, face-to-face -face is always the best way to negotiate. I'm like, no, it's not. And they're like, what do you mean? No, it's not. They say, well, um, there are a lot of people that find the negotiation process anxiety producing, right? LinkedIn did a study of a, like approximately 8,500 people, kind of an informal thing. And they asked a simple question, how comfortable are you negotiating? 37% of men said me. 26% of women said me. 
flip the numbers around. That's a lot of people who are not comfortable negotiating. And one of the biggest reasons they're not comfortable negotiating is because if I were to say something and we're sitting across from some, from each other, Tyler, and you lost your marbles and started yelling at me, there are a lot of people who would say, oh God, um, I don't know what to do right now. So I'm just going to give up what, give them what they want so I can leave and get rid of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. right? Well, no, that's not what you want to do, right? Obviously. So instead, for example, those folks are actually far better off negotiating via email. Now, you have to know the do's and don'ts of email. You have to know that the rule with email is if it can be misinterpreted, it will be, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to ask questions. So if somebody writes you something in an email, instead of reacting and responding to something in a way that might be you know, less than optimal and making all kinds of assumptions, ask them, well, so you mentioned this. There's a bunch of ways I can interpret that. Can you explain to me what you meant, right? You know, and, and when you use low rich mediums like email, low rich medium means that it's devoid of some context and things like that. You have to be more attuned to that. And you have to be more attuned to the notion that assumptions and perceptions can get in the way and, and wreak havoc on a process. But what I find is for people who do find negotiation a little bit anxiety producing, you know, negotiating via email gives them time to reflect on an offer, right? They don't have to make a decision in the moment, which is where a lot of people make their mistakes. If they get angry or upset or frustrated from an emotional point of view, they can manage that. They could step away, go get a coffee and then write the email, right? Things like that. So there's actually a lot of benefits to um, negotiating asynchronously that a lot of people don't really think about. I did a TEDx talk a few years back called The Wired Negotiator. And the whole point was to say, pick your medium, you know, and think about uh, the best way in which you can use a certain medium to your advantage and, and that it that's comfortable for you. Now, again, you have to be careful because a lot of people use email and they'll be flaming and doing all kinds of like, you know, and the rule is if you're not going to say it in person, don't say it, you know, via email. Um, but there's a lot of rules and do's and don'ts out there that, that I think are good for guidance uh, when it comes to picking the right vehicle for you to negotiate. Yeah. One of the things that I've thought about myself is even when I'm in a, you know, say I'm in person or say we're on the phone or maybe we're on a zoom doing a negotiation. There are times where, you know, we're presented an offer or there is an ultimatum that's made. And, you know, the, the initial thought process is, well, I should, I, I have to respond to it now. It's like either yes or no, or, you know, there, there is a deal or we don't have a deal. You know, we're walking away. It's, it's win or lose at all costs. What I've kind of trained myself on, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is, that's really interesting. You know, let me, let me consider that and and let's come back together when we've had some time to kind of evaluate. And that's kind of my foundational thought instead of saying, Hey, this is going to be so anxiety producing because you know, it's so high stakes. We can take some time and be measured in that approach. Uh, completely agree with you. I almost never, unless I absolutely have to, and I can't remember the last time I absolutely had to answer in the moment. I almost never say yes in the moment. I always say, can I just sleep on this for a night and get back to you tomorrow? Because yep. what invariably happens is I realized there was an implication to saying yes that I hadn't thought of in the moment. Right now, it's a clearer picture. I have a much better sense. I can think it through a little bit differently. Uh, and, and so without question. And I also think, by the way, we negotiate with ourselves a lot. You know, when, when people are silent um, or quiet, <laughs> um, people start to get nervous. You have to realize that like silence is okay. I mean, one of my, just as a quick story, one of my friends, academic, 
had been given a uh, sent a book offer, uh, you know, upfront kind of um, advance, and he, and it got sent to him on on Friday before Memorial Day weekend. And he was going away with his family. So he didn't respond. He just decided, okay, I'll get back. You know, I'll deal with it when I get back and whatever. And when he got home, he didn't check his email over the weekend. When he got home Monday night, there was another offer from the publishing company for an additional $5,000 on top of what they offered him. <laughs> and he he said to me, he's like, I was fine with the first offer, but they obviously got nervous because they didn't hear back from them. So something was wrong. Let's up our offer, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, so... This is where, you know, people read into negotiations. We read it. We do this all the time. We, we start assuming things. We start having conversations in our heads. Um, my, my colleague who I've worked with for 30 years, a guy named William Urey, who was one of the authors of Getting to Yes, the famous negotiation book. He wrote another book a couple of years ago called Getting to Yes with Yourself. Mm. And it's a great book because he says, you know, the hardest negotiator that you often have to deal with is the one looking back at you in the mirror. Because we start to make up all kinds of things when we're not clear about what we're supposed to be doing and et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think that, um, you know, that's one where, and that, and that goes back to preparation, by the way, like we start to negotiate with ourselves when we have not done our homework and we think, you know, I, I better give this up because I don't want to lose this deal or et cetera. Right. So. Yeah. It seems like we come back to that thought of, Negotiation ultimately comes down to you, your own mindset, your own psyche, your perspective. So if you could expand upon that, I mean, how would you illuminate the listeners and, and help them understand further how their own mindset, you know, really sort of leads to their success or failure when it comes to negotiation? Well, I mean, you know, that the, there's an old adage, right, which is that if everything looks like a nail, you use a hammer. And, and so if you go into a negotiation with a certain mindset, let's imagine you go in with a win-lose mindset and say, I'm going to win this negotiation. That's the solution you're looking for. You're not open to other possibilities that maybe Tyler's interests are not as, you know, opposite as, as I thought from mine. So I think that when you go in and you have a, a mindset that's curious, that's engaged, that's wanting to sort of think, where's the creative deal that could be had here? Um, how can we figure out how to like understand what each really values? And by that, I don't just mean money. As we've talked about before, there's lots of things that people value in a given realm. I mean, I love doing what I do. That has value to me. When people offer me a particular opportunity, like coming on your show, I get great value out of talking about this because I think it helps people, right? So, so I think that if you can come into a negotiation curious, problem-solving, seeing the other, as you mentioned, as a partner, and that the problem is the issue on the table, not them, right? All of those things help you to, to um, keep working a problem. And I think that's the other thing is that I find that people will say, well, I tried to negotiate and it didn't work. I'm like, well, what happened? Well, I made an offer and they said it was too low. So they made an offer and I said, that's too high. And that was it. I said, you didn't negotiate. You don't even know what they want in this negotiation, really. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of companies that I work with and they're and process stuff. They don't even think about it. Like, they, you know, one company that I was working with said, you know, when I asked them about process, they said, well, we give them a, our standard contract. We send it to them and they mark it up and they send it back to us. And then we go back and forth. They said, at what point do you meet? And they're like, we don't really meet. We might meet to sign off on it, but we don't really meet. And I said, well, like, that's not a good way to negotiate. 
you know, from a process point of view, you're not really ever able to ask questions and try to understand, does this standard contract that's boilerplate meet their interests or not? You know, are there other things that could be woven in here? So, so I really think that it's that it's being curious, it's asking questions, it's recognizing that there's information out there that you need to understand to kind of come up with the best way forward. Um, and being patient, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but I often talk to them, they're like, we got to wrap this up. I'm like, why? Where are you going? Like, what is there a deadline? If there is, okay, I get it. And what is it? But if there isn't, like, let's just keep working the problem. Guys, I think it will be to both of our benefits if we can see, if we can create not just a, the most obvious deal, but the best one. Let's talk about that real quick, because if there is a deadline, let's say an investor is bumping up on the due diligence deadline, their time frame has, you know, they got three, four days left and you're making progress towards an agreement and you, you know, your objectives are getting closer for both parties and you seem like you're making some progress, but you're not there yet. And you might, you feel like you might need some more time. And instead of saying, Hey, let's wrap this up in three, four days, let's give ourselves an extra two weeks. Is it optimal to say, Hey, you know, let's, let's both be realistic here and give ourselves an extra two weeks. I mean, in a perfect scenario, it seems like it would, but what would your comments be on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I would, I, you know, anytime, I'm negotiating and there's a deadline looming. I'll get to a point where I'll say, tell me about this deadline. Like, why does it exist? What, what, what do we turn into a pumpkin when we hit it? Like what, <laughs> what happens? And usually it's like, well, you know, we need to move on. I'm like, well, is it hard and fast? Or, you know, if we're making some good progress and we see promise here, can you bump it back a week? Like what happens if you can't? Usually people have flexibility. A lot of times deadlines are just to kind of get a decision made and for the other side to try to pressure you to you know give up more than you would like to so i would just probe a bit and and sort of say well you know do, is there a way that you can go back to your boss and you know get another week so that we can do this in a way that that feels good to both of us or something along those lines. You know, it feels like this approach that that you speak of, I mean, overall, sort of everything that we've talked about today, I think it does come down to mindset. It does come down to that curious mindset, the creative mm-hmm. problem solving resourcefulness mindset, seeing the other as a partner rather than an adversary. And ultimately, mm-hmm. what what you shared with me as well, and I don't recall if it was during our, our recording here or pr- prior to, but it ultimately Ooh. preserves your reputation. And I know that in the real estate business, it's a small world, right? It's a, it's almost you know across the country and even in certain regions, we all run into people who know each other, or know of each other, and ultimately, your reputation is everything. Could you speak a little bit about the importance of preserving reputation in a negotiation? I think it's fundamental. You know, negotiation, you, you always have to balance the short your short-term needs, you know, that specific deal with the longer-term relationship. And I will tell you that in general, every time that I've done my best, which most of the time I try to, it, to preserve the relationship and build the relationship, it comes around in a way that I never expected. You know, and I've also heard of a lot of stories where uh you know, where people did sacrifice their reputation and and ultimately people found out about it or whatever it was and 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 they didn't have a whole lot more a lot more deals to do. So I think it's one of those things that you know you have to be super conscious of. I mean, I my grandmother always used to say to me, the only thing you have in life is your name and your reputation. And and I agree with you. You know, we live in a world where we're more connected than ever. And if you don't think someone's gonna Google like I'm dealing with Tyler, 
if, you know, if you don't think they're going to Google you and see what people have to say about you as a negotiator or a business person or whatever, you're crazy because they will. Right. So I, I think it's really important that you negotiate in a manner where you can always kind of come out and feel like, okay, like that was fine. Like I didn't do anything that, that would hamper me in the future. And I think, I think a lot of people are moving away from that. Some people are slow to do it. I think a lot of people in particular who think that they're going to just engage in one-off negotiations. And so the relationship doesn't matter and their reputation doesn't matter. I think they're coming to understand slowly, but surely that that's just kind of not how it works anymore. And I mean, there's still some people who are like that and they say, I don't care. I'll take my chances. And, you know, you may get burned once or twice, but I would rather that happen to me than, than to do something where I end up, you know, tarnishing my reputation and and being worried that someone's going to Google me and say, I'm not going to know she negotiate with this Josh Weiss guy. He seems, you know, sketchy. Josh, this is so valuable. This is uh, one of my favorite conversations we've had on the podcast and one that I know is extremely valuable for our listeners and for anybody who is looking to build and design a life through real estate, because ultimately those are the objectives. It's not about the deal. It's not about the cash flow, the return on investment, but it's about what happens on the back end of that. And so truly understanding that, knowing thyself a bit more, understanding our own emotions that are at play, understanding that our counterparts are not adversaries and that we can look at this as a problem that we can solve together. I mean, what a valuable conversation, Josh. I just want to thank you so much. I'm looking forward to continuing our relationship together and continuing to learn together uh, as a result. But I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast before we wrap today. It's called the rare air questionnaire. Uh, This is about being uncommon. I think the common approach to negotiation is bargaining. It's high, low, it's lazy. It, you walk away feeling like crap, but we're talking about is being rare, being uncommon. So with that said, I've got a few questions for you. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? So, I mean, I would definitely say getting to yes, uh, is a seminal work in the field. And I think a, a critical one for anybody to read who wants to really understand this. Um, there's also another book called negotiating the impossible, um, by a guy named Deepak Malhotra at Harvard business school that I really like. It's, a, you know, it's examples and scenarios, um, that are, uh, you know, that he looks at of really difficult negotiations and how they were solved. Um, so those are some, and then I, I honestly, like, I love anything by Malcolm Gladwell, because I think Malcolm Gladwell connects the dots in a way that I think really effective negotiators, that effective negotiators look and, and they look for ways of connecting the disconnected or the unconnected. And I think I love the way he thinks. And I, and I think that if you can bring that way of thinking to negotiation of looking for where's the angle here where's the way of connecting x y and z in this particular situation it's incredibly valuable so i tell you what i get chills and the reason why is because i feel the exact same way about malcolm gladwell i love the way that he thinks i love the way that he brings complex ideas and makes sense of them and helps sort of correlate and bring patterns into a meaningful dialogue so that we can make sense of important ideas whether it's a tipping point blink i mean you name it you go on and on But it's so interesting that you bring it up that way, because when you think about a complex negotiation, it is about gathering complex data and making Mm -hmm. sense of patterns and being able to understand as well what our counterparts objectives are so that we can sort of put this complex puzzle piece together and draw correlations and connection. That's really insightful. 
I, it just fits. I mean, I, you know, and I, it's a way of training your brain. You know, I do a lot of lateral thinking puzzles and with my kids and, and, and you have to train your mind to think differently. You know, that for me, that's where really effective negotiators go. They don't think, well, we can split the difference or you get, you do this, I do that. It's like, no, 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 you got to think really differently about this problem. Um, and when you start doing that, you say, oh, wait a minute, what if we were to do it this way? And then all of a sudden, their side says, huh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. If we did that, we'd have to add this to the mix, but that's possible, right? And so now you're off on a Malcolm Gladwell tangent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put yourself in the world of possibilities, um, which is right. where everything happens. Josh, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Is it training your brain like we just talked about? Or is there something else that you'd point to? So it's training, I would say it's training my brain. I also really have gotten into walking. Um, I just find that walking clears everything out. Um, some of my best ideas come from that, unlike like a lot of people in history who have actually sort of done that. Um, I just I got involved in a project many years ago um, in the Middle East where we were working on and designing uh, the development of a long, a long distance walking route across the Middle East region. Um, and it gave me an appreciation for walking and thinking and um, in a way that I've found incredibly helpful. So I love to walk. I've got two dogs and we walk a couple of times a day and it's, and I walk as much for me as for them. Yeah. And I felt the same way. I mean, I've got a dog myself, a German shepherd and, and yesterday was, uh, it was actually, I mean, like I said, we were in this intense negotiation and it was like, I gotta get, I gotta get out. I gotta get some fresh air. I gotta breathe. You know, I gotta take the AirPods out, like no listening. I just want to breathe and be here and think. And it's powerful, man. I, I totally, by the agree. way, on that, you know, I also am now trying to do more and more of my negotiations while I'm walking. Ah. So that get out of the boardroom where you're sitting face to face with somebody in an adversarial way and, and just say, Hey, you want to just go for a walk and talk about this? I love it. What you do is you change the dimension of things. Now you're walking toward the problem. You're walking side by side, right? And you're walking toward the problem and you're thinking together. And there's a lot of research on walking that says that, you know, more oxygen, more problem solving, more creative thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people who find negotiation anxiety, anxiety producing, you know, it also changes the dimension there. It's like, okay, we're just going for a walk and let's see what happens. Yeah. And there's this subconscious communication of, Hey, we're side by side and we're not, it's not me versus you. It's us moving forward. I mean, there's probably a lot to be said about that. There is. Yeah. There's some interesting research out there. Yeah. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Josh? I mean, I guess in some ways it's, it's a little bit of this, which is just having conversations about this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, and in particular, when people are faced with very difficult conflicts, um, talking to them and giving them a sense that, A, you know, this isn't that abnormal, like you're not, this isn't such an obscure thing, like this happens to everybody, but also helping them to kind of think and reflect and to deal with um, these things in a way that can be productive, like trying to help people to realize that they can actually handle this stuff effectively if they give some thought to it and don't just react. You know, human beings are reaction machines. And when we learn to pull back a little and think it through, um, I think that's probably, you know, the imparting of the knowledge and skills that I've been lucky to learn over the course of my life. 
Um, and seeing people coming out the other end and saying, I get it. Like this makes so much sense. Yeah, Josh, man, this is um, very illuminating, very insightful, educational, and I think extremely valuable for the listeners. So I just want to thank you. I want to acknowledge you for not only committing your life's work to such an important paradigm of negotiation, but giving that to others. You know, I think constructing our reality in a more constructive way, such as the the way that you approach negotiation, um, is so valuable. We need it. Uh, we're not all against each other. We're all in this together. And so mm -hmm. I just want to acknowledge you. I want to thank you and uh, want to show you my appreciation for being here. Tell the listeners um, if you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom uh, for Elevate Nation today. You can do this. It requires, you know, some thinking, some planning, et cetera, et cetera. But, but don't listen to what the world is telling you you ought to do. Um, realize that you've got to be you. And, but, but take the time to learn the skills, the knowledge, the strategy, the analysis. And, and you won't regret it. I can tell you that much. I've got students who go through my master's degree program and they come out and they say, I don't know how my life would ever be the same after this experience. And, and I think that a lot of people can get that too, if they really uh, take the time to learn these skills and knowledge and, and anybody can, Not, you know, we have different levels we can achieve, but anybody can get better. And I firmly believe that. I love that. We can move forward with the confidence that we can do this. Thank right. you for that reminder. Josh Weiss, everybody. Josh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can the listeners learn more about you and stay connected? Uh, so I do have a website. Um, so it's www.joshuaandweiss.com. And uh, all my books, and I've written some children's books as well, uh, as uh, a few other books on negotiation um, and podcasts and other resources for folks. Um, it's all there. And, and you can get in touch with me there as well, if you'd like. Well, I look forward to that. I will put links, uh, or our team will put links in the show notes as where the listeners can connect with you, Josh. Um, but until next time, I really look forward to continuing our discussion together. But thank you again for being on the podcast. No, thank you, Tyler. It was great. I enjoyed it. What an amazing conversation with Josh Weiss. I don't know about you, but I just learned so much about negotiation. I'm in the middle of this crazy high-low bargaining, you know, sort of situation. And it's like, man, let's get back to the drawing board. Let's revise. Let's sit on the same side of the table. Let's take a deep breath. It's not me versus you. It's us together looking to accomplish objectives. You know, I think we get caught up in that. And sometimes a real estate industry and, you know, space can just be so fast paced and we get away from some of these learnings. Um, there's just so much here. And when it, when you think about mindset being fundamental, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm excited and, and happy that we understand that we're investing in our mindset by being as a being a part of Elevate Nation together. Um, we're investing in our own perspective. We're investing in our own psyche. We're understanding more about how others investment, you know, other other psyches or mindsets or perspectives interface with ours in these type of agreements. And ultimately, what we're talking about is designing a life through real estate. So I just want to thank you so much for listening. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. We learn twice as much when we listen more than once. We're going to learn more things and recognize more things uh, that we didn't recognize at the first glance. So I look forward to re-listening myself. I want to encourage you to share this with a friend and have a discussion with someone else about, hey, what, what did you learn in your last negotiation um, as a result of learning from this podcast today? What could you have done better? What can you bring to your next negotiation? What skills, uh, what preparation can you engage in? Uh, what contingency planning, what improv 
Can you train so that you can step into a greater sense of creating uh, and achieving those objectives as a result of interfacing with others in the space? I just want to encourage you to really dive in and ultimately commit to taking massive action. What is your commitment to take massive action? What are the top one, two, or three distinctions that you want to make sure that you apply and that those become a part of your reality as a result of listening to this podcast? So I just want to thank you so much for listening, Elevate Nation. It's been my pleasure. Until next time, Elevate Nation, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.